We open the scriptures together this morning to Acts chapter 2, where we have the record of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit of Christ on the church on the day of Pentecost. We'll look at verses 1 through 21 of the chapter, and that's what we'll read at this time. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. God's Word. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came the sound of a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men of every nation under heaven. And when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers of Mesopotamia, and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt, And in the parts of Libya, about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others, mocking, said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words, for these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens will I pour out in those days my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We read the scripture that far this morning and we ask for the promised Holy Spirit to illumine our minds and hearts in this Word of God. 
Beloved in the Lord, what do you think are the five most important days in the history of the human race? The five most important days, if, let's ask it this way first, if you are thinking of this life, what are the five most important days? Maybe we would answer the day the internet was launched, the day the first book came off the Gutenberg Press, the explosion of the first atomic, atomic bomb, man's first footsteps on the moon, or some other day. Or if you like dates, then maybe you say the most significant days on the planet yet have been October 31, 1517, September 11, 2001, July 4, 1776, December 7, 1941, June 6, 1944. What are the five most important days in the history of mankind? The five most important days in the history of this world without any dispute are the day that Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, was born in our flesh in Bethlehem, which Scripture itself calls the fullness of time. Number two, the day that our Lord Jesus Christ was hung upon a cross to bear away our sins forever and to bestow upon us a spotless righteousness. Number three, the day that He rose from the dead, destroying death, and bringing to us life everlasting in Him. Number four, the day that He ascended into heaven, parting not the Red Sea, but parting heaven itself to receive us in Him. And number five, the fifth most important day in the history of human time is Pentecost. Today. The day that He poured out by His Spirit all the hard-won salvation He had earned upon the church so that the church bearing that gift and that word in their hearts might be His servant to spread the gospel throughout the world and to live in His comfort. These five days, the birth, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, and the outpouring of His Spirit, these five days are the days in which the eternal kingdom of God, the kingdom of righteousness was built. These five days express the reason for creation and for time. These five days express the kingdom of God, the work of God's glory and power through His Son, Jesus Christ. These days are called in the New Testament times of epiphany. Epiphany. We read in the Scripture, for the grace of God hath appeared unto men. In each of these days there has been a debut. There has been a bright shining out into this dark world of God's saving purpose in Jesus Christ. That grace which will save sinners that grace appeared, especially on five days, his birth, his death, 
his resurrection, his ascension, and today, Pentecost. Of those five, I suspect that no one would argue that those are the five most important days in the history of the world to date. But of those five, I would also suspect that among us, the last two, the Ascension and Pentecost, also become last in our thinking as to the importance and magnitude of the event. That we do not equate the Ascension and Pentecost to his birth or to his death. We don't, we count off the days to Christmas, but we were recounting off the days to Pentecost with the same eager anticipation. And if that observation is true, that we consider these of less importance and of not equal magnitude as when he took upon himself flesh in Bethlehem where he suffered and died under upon the cruel cross, then we are exposing an immaturity in our faith. And perhaps we are exposing that our Christian calendar is regulated more by hallmark cards than by Holy Scripture. It was for Pentecost this day that all the other days were. He was born, carried away our sins, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven to receive the Spirit, all for the purpose of this day to pour out His Spirit into our hearts, to be with us and in us with the fullness of salvation. If there is no Pentecost, there is no church. There are no Christians. If there is no Pentecost, the 120 left in the upper room would have wilted away as every other cause of men. It was for Pentecost that all things were. The greatest thing in the Christian life, in our life this morning, is the presence and the gift of the Spirit of Christ within us. Now we understand fully Psalm 23, our Good Shepherd, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Thou art with me. The poured Spirit of Christ, with all His blessings, is with me. I will fear no evil. I call your attention to the day of Pentecost. We want to ask and answer three questions about this day. What happened on that day? What was the result, the single most important result of that day for us now? And then finally, we want to conclude on what is the calling that this day gives to us. What happened on the day of Pentecost? Well, children, you probably know that Pentecost means 50 or Feast of the 50. And Pentecost is the actual 50th day after the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Fifty days ago, we celebrated the resurrection of Christ. 
You probably know also that Pentecost was already, even before the Spirit was poured out, an important feast day of the Old Testament. It was one of the three most important feast days that God had set down in the time of shadow in the Old Testament. Leviticus 23 tells us that those three most important days were were the Passover feast and the killing of the lamb, followed quickly by the feast of the first fruits in which they would take the first ripened sheaves of grain and wave them before God in the temple, and then 50 days after the Feast of the First Fruits was the Feast of Weeks, seven weeks, or Pentecost, the 50th day, in which they would take a completed harvest to the Lord in the form of two loaves of bread. And it is these days that Jesus Christ in His work, these days were figurative, of the great days of the work of Jesus Christ, Passover on Thursday evening fulfilled by Jesus' cross on Good Friday in which the Lamb of God took away our sins, the Feast of the First Fruits, which for the Jews would have been on Saturday, but on Monday Christ arose from the dead as the first fruits of them that slept, slept, When they brought the first fruits to God in the Old Testament, they did that receiving the pledge that a full harvest would come. And then the Feast of Pentecost, when they would bring the completed harvest before the Lord in the temple, followed by the next day, Pentecost Sabbath. So Pentecost, we read, and the day of Pentecost was fully come, that is, that which Pentecost was created, was given by God to reflect, that came on that day, for on that Sabbath day, the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ was poured out upon the gathered church. We read, they, in the text, verse 1, that they were all with one accord in one place. The they, of course, refers back to chapter 1, the 120 disciples who were commanded to wait for this event, Acts 1 tells us, of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They were gathered with one accord. They were bound together in fellowship and love in Christ, and especially in the 120, it was especially intense and deep. They were bound together with one accord in one place. Verse 2 says, or defines this place as that the sound filled the house in which they were sitting. And I believe that this one place where they were sitting when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them and came in the three signs was not the upper room. Whenever the upper room is referred to in John or Luke or Acts, it's called the upper room. And it was not perhaps some house that they had secured or rented to house the 120, but it was the house of God. It was the temple 
that they were gathered in the temple of Jerusalem and probably that they gathered at Solomon's porch, a section of the temple with a porch, an awning over the top, a place where they could be seated. The first chapters of the book of Acts tells us that the early church gathered at first in the temple. In this chapter, Acts 2, verse 46, and they continued daily with one accord in the temple. Acts 3, verse 11, and all the people ran together unto them in the porch called Solomon. And Acts 5, verse 12, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. So I take it that the Holy Spirit was poured upon them on that Sabbath when they were in the temple at the place called Solomon's porch, gathered the 120 with them. It happened at 9 o'clock in the morning. Peter says that in verse 15, we are not drunken, for it is the ninth hour in the morning. It was the, was the, it was the hour of prayer in the temple. And so in the church, in the hour of prayer, the church met together, the Spirit was poured out. And further, we learn that there was at that time in the temple, in Jerusalem, but in the temple, a very large multitude, verse 6, a large group of Jews from all over the known world of the day. So there were Jews and proselytes, converted Jews, in the temple on that day, devout men, we read, from every place known to man at that time. From the Caspian Sea, there were Medes and Parthians. There were people from Iraq and Iran, the dwellers of Mesopotamia. They were there from Turkey, Cappadocia, and Phrygia, from Egypt, from North Africa, from Rome, strangers from Rome, Saudi Arabia. That is, there was a thronging, large group of devout Jews from the dispersion and proselytes in the temple at that moment. When at nine o'clock in the morning, with this large group present, Upon Solomon's porch, something astounding happened. Something without any prior notice or without any warning, at nine o'clock, the Holy Spirit of Christ, as promised, was poured out upon His little church, gathered together in their midst of worship at nine o'clock on a Sunday morning. We read that there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. There was the sound of a mighty rushing wind. If you wet your finger and put your finger out to gauge if there was any air blowing, you would not feel even the slightest breeze. But there was a sound, a mighty sound, like a tornado, you would expect the windows to be shaken. You would be, expect the doors to be shaken. But there was the sound, the powerful sound of a mighty rushing 
wind. We know that this represents to us, Jesus taught us in in John 3, verse 8, that we are, as we're born of the Spirit, we do not know, said Jesus, where the wind comes from, but so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. We know that this is embodying to us the truth of irresistible grace, of the power of the Holy Spirit to work our conversion of the grace of God to blow upon those out of his own choosing and to bring us to faith in Jesus Christ. So there was the sound of the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the church powerfully through his irresistible grace. There was secondly that there appeared cloven tongues as of fire upon the hundred and twenty and it sat upon each of them. I remember as a boy that I either envisioned this myself while listening or whether I was taught this, I'm not sure. But I always envisioned this, that each on the head of each one was almost like a candle, cloven, divided, two flames united at the base upon the head of each one of them. Maybe that was your envisioning of it. I don't think that's the fullness of the explanation of this sign. There was nothing controllable about this flame. The signs of Pentecost are powerful signs. And the idea, I believe, is that there was fire upon them in Solomon's porch. What seem sheets of fire, divided fire, dispersed flames as, as flames are always dispersed, sheets surrounding them of fire, of, of brightness, of light engulfing them, being all around them yet not consuming them. There was fire around them and it's a sign again of the sanctifying of the Holy Spirit that when the Spirit comes, He comes to burn the dross of our sins and to purify. And so we remember the words of Malachi that the Lord shall suddenly come into His temple and He will purify the sons of Levi that they may offer to the Lord a sacrifice of praise. So the signs of Pentecost were first irresistible grace of the Spirit, then a sanctifying, a burning of the Holy Spirit to sanctify and cleanse us from the dross of sin. And then thirdly, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And this is the most important sign. The other two were preparatory for this sign. This is the sign that's going to be permanent, permanent in this sense, that the church now, from every lip of every person in the church, will be intelligent, clear, heartfelt words of God, spoken to God's glory, and spoken to each other's comfort. That's the permanent sign. And the other two were pointing to this one. The 
sign of the speaking in tongues was given not just to the 11 disciples, but it was given to the 120 believers. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak. And the sign took place in the mouth of the 120 And they spoke in tongues, we read, the wonderful works of God. The tongues were clear from the passage, intelligent, heartfelt words in a known language, in the language that the person listening, that it was their native or usual tongue. Speaking in tongues here were not a belching or guttural sounds from their mouth, or sounds of a, of a babe trying to speak. But they were given the ability, as they opened their mouth, to speak in a previously unknown language to them, speaking clearly in that language, intelligently, warmly in that language of the wonderful works of Jesus Christ. In our day, if there was someone from Mexico, the ability to speak Spanish, from Paris, to speak French, from China, Mandarin, from India, Tamil. And it was a sign of this great reality that all the people of God, from child upon your seed, to adult, to the old man, young men and maidens, young men and old men, we read that they all had the ability, each believer, to speak, to prophesy, to know, to sound forth the wonderful works of God, the Word of God, so that the sign is telling us that now the Gospel is going to gather a universal church chosen of God's grace and that now in that church there would be a priesthood of every believer that you are able to speak, you are able to know, you are able to edify, you are able to build up, you are able to witness, you are able to speak the wonderful works of God. What happened on that day? That day was the greatest day the church has ever known until we see him on the clouds of glory. The exalted Lord poured upon his church his spirit to renew irresistibly, to sanctify inwardly, inward, unseen things. He would work that in each one of his children. And he would also work this, that in each of his children, he would give them to know, to speak, to cherish, to love, to communicate his precious word. That spirit was not poured out just on that day in that place, but it was poured out upon the church. He is poured out this morning here. 
He is present always in the church in the power of his irresistible grace in our hearts to save. He is power through the word to sanctify us in the word. And he is power, he is present in the power to give our tongue, our mind and our tongue to know and love and speak the word of God. On the day of Pentecost, something happened in heaven. And what happened in heaven continues to happen to us today, especially in our homes and wherever we are, but especially at the ninth hour, especially at that moment when the church is gathered in the house of God, there is something that happens from heaven. The windows of heaven are opened and pouring from heaven upon the church is my spirit, saith the Lord. My spirit, this spirit now, not just the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit with the complete work of Christ, a deluge from heaven, so that on the basis of his work, through the power of his work, the Holy Spirit is poured upon us in the church, the spirit of regeneration, that we're born again, sanctification, irresistibly worked within us, and the illumination of the Holy Spirit. And the magnitude of the day, and the magnitude of the blessing, is when we consider who was poured out. On that day, it was not a common experience that was poured out. It was not a feeling that was poured out. Someone was poured out to be in us. And that someone is God the Holy Spirit. A person. Not just an experience. Not a feeling. We don't have in common an experience, a feeling. Did you see that? We would say, Did you feel that? We have a common Holy Spirit. A common miracle of God's grace. God, the Holy Spirit, poured into our hearts to abide with us and more. The Holy Spirit, not in the form of the Old Testament, with His shadows and with His feast days and with His pictures, but with the reality of Jesus Christ himself, the hard-run salvation of Christ is poured upon us this day. Pentecost is staggering. Without it, there's nothing. But with it, there is all things. We have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of Christ. The result of that will be that we prophesy. I point out to you that in the text, we don't have time to go into it in detail, but I would point out to you very plainly that of the three signs, which are quite remarkable, it's the third sign that captured the attention of the multitude 
that was present in the temple that day. We read in verse 12, And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? What do they refer to? What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. They're drunk. The thing that they're talking about, what does this mean that they are speaking to us in our own tongue the wonderful works of God? What is going on? This prophecy, what is this all about? Notice they said, we do hear them speak, verse 5, in our own language. And then they go on to say, behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? That is, even though the Holy Spirit gave them to speak in those languages to the person who was in front of them, the appropriate language, even though they could, at the same time, the 120 could not disguise their own accent. They were Galileans. That is the group the people understood. Just as you, or or if, if someone comes to the United States and learned English and is able to speak English to you well, and yet you detect and you say, you're from Germany. I get the accent. They said, they're speaking to us, but we know that their native tongue is from Galilee. How, how is this possible? The result, the blessing that came to their mind was the prophecy. And Peter affirms that's the heart of this. When he quotes from Joel, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams and on my servants and on my handmaids I will pour out my spirit in those days. The result is that we all prophesy. Now what is prophesy? Well, it's not a direct revelation from God. It is not a revelation of new things that are not in the Word of God. It is not suddenly an impulse that we think God is saying this or that to us. It is not a a guttural or holy heavenly language that you've never heard before. But prophesy, according to Scripture, is to know and understand the Word of God, and to be able to speak it in the proper way. The definition is not mine. That's the definition that the Scriptures give to us of prophesying. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3, But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification, exhortation, and comfort. Prophesy is the ability to speak because one knows in their heart the truth of the Word of God. Able to speak to edification, to build up, exhortation, to encourage or correct, and to comfort oneself and others. All God's people have the ability, because of Pentecost, to speak, to prophesy, to speak the Word of God from the heart intelligently, carefully, to each other and to others. This is not a threat upon the special offices 
This does not erase the special offices of pastor, elders, and deacons. We read in the same chapter of Acts 2 that Peter stood up, was given a platform with the other eleven, and it was Peter who preached as a called pastor of that church, we believe. And he expounded in his preaching the Scriptures to explain what had happened. And he called them to faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. It's not a threat to the special offices. It's not a competition between the office of all believer and the special offices. There's no competition here. There is still the special offices that God has called. But all flesh. I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Upon your seed. Upon your sons and your daughters. Upon male and female upon young and old. That's Pentecost. The gift of the Holy Spirit of the risen Lord Jesus taking up His residence by powerful grace in the heart of every believer, sanctifying and purging out sin through the Word and by the Spirit, renewing us, preserving us, but also illuminating illumining our minds to Holy Scripture so that every believer knows God and understanding God is able to speak the Word of God in an appropriate way. That's the result. We are a congregation of those who prophesy We don't do this to our pride and self-honor and we don't do this saying, I know better than you. And we don't start interpreting the Bible all by ourselves without the fellowship of the church. But it does mean this, that when you take the Bible in your hand and you teach your little child how to read and they read the Bible at the table with you, it does mean this, that you can understand the Bible as you pour over it and you read it. We think sometimes, I can't understand this. We think sometimes it's the translation that is my barrier to understanding this. We think, well, a devotional. Devotionals have their place. I'm not speaking against that. But we rely upon a devotional time after time to tell us what the Word of God is saying. Pentecost means, this is not my opinion, this is what God poured out. Pentecost means that you have the ability of the Holy Spirit not to speak in some unknown tongue, not to speak in a heavenly language, which would do you no prophets, prophet, but you have the ability to understand the Bible when you read it and to speak it. The sign of the Church of Pentecost is not this morning that the elders have poison in the back and you can, as Mark says, you can drink a cup of poison if you really believe and you have the Spirit, or that you can dangle uh, poisonous snakes from your, you can pick up poisonous snakes and not uh, be bit. That's not the sign of Pentecost. The sign of Pentecost is heard in our conversations as we leave church this morning and throughout the whole week.
There, the Spirit of God is poured out in the narthex, in the car, at the table, at your work. You are able to understand the Word of God, to study it, to know it in your heart, and to speak it prayerfully, carefully, firmly if need be, lovingly, you are able to do that. This means that as the Church of Pentecost, we are a humble church. We are a teachable church. We are ready to hear the Word of God. We are ready to hear the Word of God as it's preached to us on our pulpit. We are ready to hear the Word of God when a brother or sister, a father or a mother, come to us with that Word of God. When someone is speaking to us, we're ready to be taught, even from the lips of a little child, that we listen. The gift of prophecy is the gift of the ability to hear the word of truth, to detect it, to be blessed by it. This means that as a congregation, our chief characteristic will be a passionate love of the Word of God, a passionate searching of the Word of God, that we will come to the Scriptures as they are inspired of the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the deep things of God, and we will dive into the treasures of the Holy Scriptures to discern these deep things of God. The Spirit, we pray for the Spirit to be present. And we pray that through the Word of God, our lives are transformed more and more after the pattern and the image of Jesus Christ. The result of the outpoured Spirit is, they shall all know me. They shall all be given the ability to hear me to read the Word of God. They will be given the ability to understand, not plumb, not be the final answer man, but to know the Scriptures and to speak it clearly, honestly, humbly, lovingly, appropriately to one another. We conclude this morning with the calling of Pentecost. And that calling is two things, that Pentecost calls us to hope for the last day. And that comes out in uh, Peter's quotation from Joel 2, when it speaks of signs and wonders in heaven above and in earth beneath, the sun turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the notable, the great, and the notable day of the Lord. So Pentecost puts in us the hope for the sixth greatest day in human history. Birth, death, resurrection, ascension, Pentecost. There's one more day. And then the work is done when Jesus comes. Pentecost gives us to hope and look for that final day of the Lord. That's the spirit of Pentecost, living for that final day. And Pentecost, with this hope, 
of the final day coming also brings to us a warning. For in that final day, when Christ comes, that's the judgment of God Almighty. And so in the sermons of the church and also in our own learning and witnessing of the Word of God, there must also be the warning of the judgment of God upon impenitent sinners. We do not love the unbelieving world around us. We do not love others as God calls us if we are silent, if we do not speak of the judgment that awaits this world. A judgment that we do not fear because our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the first calling, that we live with an eye toward the Lord's return. The second calling is given in the last verse, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We are called in the day of Pentecost today to repent and to believe and to call upon the name of the Lord. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The whosoever, we understand, does not mean that whatever man out there of his ability, whatever woman out there of his ability, boy or girl of their ability, who decides after a free offer of the gospel that they will give their will to the Savior. It doesn't mean that whosoever among men, but whosoever of God's grace, wherever they appear and wherever God has placed them and wherever they are, whatever country, whatever race, whatever class, whatever age, whosoever, that by hearing the call of the gospel is pricked in their heart, the word of God, the work of the Holy Spirit, whosoever knows their need. Do you know your need? Do you know your sin, your misery, your condemnation before God? Are you overwhelmed in sin? Are you despairing? Do you know that need? Do you know the wonderful Lord Jesus His birth, death, and resurrection. Call upon God. Trust in Him. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Whosoever, by that wonderful grace of God then, calls on the name of the Lord, shall be saved. The result of Pentecost for us as children of God, converted, repentant, humble, confessing, believing, is assurance. Calling upon the name of the Lord. We shall be saved. The Spirit is given to confirm in our hearts the work of God so that we call upon Him. And whoever calls upon Him shall be saved. Amen. Lord, we pray that Thou bless the truths of Holy Scripture to our hearts, this glorious, outpoured Holy Spirit, 
We pray that the word of God may come as a mighty wind and as a burning fire, illuminating our hearts and minds, turning us from our sins, knowing our misery, and calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus, and in calling upon him, experience that we are saved. We thank thee for this gift of Pentecost. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.